right, we're looking beautiful tonight. King of Kings, how are you feeling tonight? Yes. Well, Chag Sukkot Sameach to everyone. Welcome. We're glad you're here. Uh, it's going to be a great night. Thank you for letting in um, our guests who are coming in. Thank you, First Encounters team, for doing that. Wow, what a great time of celebratory worship. It's a great night. Uh, we welcome all of our members. Welcome back home and to everybody watching online. Welcome to King of Kings community here in Jerusalem. I want to honor a few uh, people in the house and then want to honor some people online. First, let me mention Pastor Raquel St. Domingo and let me also mention Elaine who brought the Dawn Watchers team with them from the Philippines today. Thank you guys for being with us. Now listen, this team, I've been with them online. Uh, they get up at three o'clock in the morning and they pray for Israel, Jerusalem, King of Kings family, etc. I didn't say that just to make you feel bad about your prayer life. <laughs> they're called to do it. They're committed to it. They're faithful in serving and giving. They're, they're such a wonderful part of our King of Kings family through Connect City. So thank you guys for being with us here tonight, uh, welcome to all of our guests online. But listen to these countries. Thank you, Team Chantal and the rest of you for sending these names to me. These are the people who let us know where they were watching from online tonight. Are you ready for the list? If you're from the country, I do give you a chance to root for your country. That would be, that would be fine as well. Um, Belgium. It's always quiet with Belgium. Um, this one will also be very quiet. Canada. It's always Canada, yeah. Usually they're pretty quiet, you know. Denmark. Yeah. All right. Finland won't say anything. Finland. Yeah, it's cold there. Germany. Guatemala. We just love their tacos. Good. Um, India. Kenya. Myanmar. The Netherlands. I assume that's for me because my last name is Holland. Thank you. Norway, the yeah. that's my wife's family. Come on, honey. Philippines, yeah. Singapore, Slovakia, South Africa, Spain, Switzerland, United Kingdom, yeah. United States, yeah. Tanzania. We got one from Tanzania in the house. Good. Hungary, Malaysia, Italy. Man, it keeps going. Y'all sent me late ones. Ireland, yeah. Taiwan, and other people watching all over Israel. Welcome to King of Kings, guys. We're so happy to have you tonight. Let me also say thank you to our wonderful young adult group that was able to put up the sukkah today, uh, earlier this week. Doesn't it look beautiful tonight? Thank you, guys, for doing that. One of them is taking photos over here. <laughs> Praise the Lord. You know, sometimes we like to dive into the word and we, we want to make sure that we give you a lot of practical application. Well, tonight, because of the festival of Sukkot, we're, we have the opportunity to, to go a little bit higher in the spiritual realm and, and to give you a lot of symbolism tonight. So I want you to get your devices ready, your Bibles, your notepads. We're going to dive in and continue our perfection series We've started with the perfect God, then at Yom Teruah, the Feast of Trumpets, we talked about perfect timing, and then last week at Yom Kippur, we talked about the perfect sacrifice. And there's a lot of symbolism at Sukkot. It might actually be the holiday where there's the most, most symbolic connections. 
Here at King of Kings, we like to connect with the idea or the possibility that Yeshua could have been born around Sukkot. You say, why do you think that? Well, you'll have to go back in the archives. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it tonight. But last year, I gave you a really good deep rundown of all of the reasons, both biblically and historically, that lean toward Yeshua being born at Sukkot. First of all, the shepherds were in the field. They weren't in the field in December when it's freezing cold and raining all the time, right? That didn't quite match. The Romans didn't take a census in the winter either. They did spring or the fall. But we also look at the biblical symbolism, right? We look at the Sukkah and we say, remember that Yeshua was born outside in a temporary dwelling like a Sukkah where he had to be able to see the stars, which is the tradition, and then all of a sudden the stars become a big part of the story of the birth of Yeshua. There's a lot of symbolism there. We can also then work our way through when, uh, remember his cousin John, his cousin John had a father, Zechariah. Zechariah was in the eighth order of the priesthood, according to David. And so we know when he served. And if we put him in the temple serving, when the Bible says he was serving, and he comes out and he can't speak because he, he has to tell him what the name of his son is going to be, Yochanan, he's going to be named John. Well, we know that he's in the eighth order. So we put him in the temple there and we start counting. We know he comes out and we know Elizabeth is pregnant. And then the Bible says Elizabeth is six months ahead of Miriam. And then we keep counting and then Miriam has a baby. It lands on Sukkot. So it's, it's, we're not saying 100%, but if I put up all of that evidence against any other part of the year, Sukkot tends to lead out a little bit more. So we are celebrating the birth of, uh, of Yeshua during Sukkot this year, although that's not the theme of tonight per se. I want to start off with some significant readings to give us the right biblical foundation for the Feast of Tabernacles. Leviticus 23, starting in verse 33. The Lord said to Moses, say to the Israelites, on the 15th day of the seventh month, the Lord's festival of tabernacles begins, and it lasts for seven days. The first day is a sacred assembly. Do no regular work. For seven days, present food offerings to the Lord, and on the eighth day, hold a sacred assembly and present a food offering to the Lord. It is the closing special assembly. Do no regular work. That will be next Sunday. We'll do a special assembly again for that. These are the Lord's appointed festivals, which you are to proclaim as sacred assemblies for bringing food offerings to the Lord. The burnt offering and the grain offering, sacrifices and drink offering required for each day. These offerings are in addition to those for the Lord's Sabbaths and in addition to your gifts and whatever you have vowed and all of the freewill offerings you give to the Lord. So there should be something extra on Sukkot, something special, something above your tithe, something above what you would normally give. So beginning with the 15th day of the seventh month, after you have gathered the crops of the land, celebrate the festival to the Lord for seven days. The first day is a day of Sabbath rest, and the eighth day is also a day of Sabbath rest. And on the first day, you are to take the branches from luxurious trees, from palms, willows, and other leafy trees, and rejoice before the Lord your God for seven days. Now you notice we brought those out today. Here they are. So we're doing all of these things. We're keeping the Sabbath of it. We're holding a sacred assembly. We're building the sukkah. We take the, the four species that we're commanded to. But it continues. 
This is to be a lasting ordinance for the generations to come, celebrated in the seventh month. Live in temporary shelters for seven days. All native-born Israelites are to live in such shelters, so your descendants will know that I had the Israelites live temporarily in shelters when I brought them out of Egypt, for I am the Lord your God. Now, that's, that's the main section of, of Sukkot, but there's a few other passages in the Bible that give you a little bit more detail. For instance, Numbers chapter 29, if you want to go through and read that, you're going to find out that it gives you all of the specific offerings that had to be brought or sacrifices that had to be made, a different group of sacrifices for each of the eight days of Sukkot. If you went into Deuteronomy chapter 16, you're going to find out two more things. You're going to find out that today or this week, at Sukkot is a commanded festival of joy and rejoicing. So don't bring your sad attitude in here. I'm going to kick you out tonight. Tonight is a night of rejoicing. Yom Kippur was a little bit more, you know, it was quiet, it was somber, it was introspective. But, but for Sukkot, you know, that's the day we, we dance and, we, and we, we rejoice and we eat and we shout and we praise God. We've done a good job so far. We'll give you another chance in a few minutes. It's a pilgrimage festival also. It's one of the three times a year the men of Israel had to come to Jerusalem. So you get to obey yet another command just for being here uh, if you're from out of the country. We welcome you today. And if you look at Zechariah chapter 14, we learn that at the end of the age during the, during the millennial reign of the Messiah, that every nation on the earth has to send a representative to Jerusalem for Sukkot, to give praise and honor to the Lord who is king. So we pick up all of these different pieces about the Feast of Tabernacles. It's important to God. At some point, the whole world will be involved. We must live in and connect with temporary shelters like a sukkah. We bring special offerings. We take Sabbath days. We wave the lulav and etrog, which we will do in just a few minutes. We are commanded to rejoice and be joyful. It's a pilgrimage Festival to the Lord. And of all of these symbolic moments, we can't remember the why. Why do we do these things? The why is most important to God, not just that you do it. Why do you do it? Well, it's found right there in the passage I read. So your descendants will know that I had the Israelites live in temporary shelters when I brought them out of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. So the goal of all of these things, the sukkah, we're waving, we're Sabbath, we're rejoicing, we're eating, we're doing all this stuff. The goal is to remember the theme. And the theme is temporary. That's the theme of Sukkot. It's, it's temporary. And, and it's not just temporary because of the Israelites. And this is where I want to take your vision a little higher tonight. The most simplistic application would obviously be that the Israelites were in the desert for 40 years. They didn't have permanent homes. They were always on the move. So they lived in temporary shelters. That is the right interpretation. It is the first step in the interpretation and it easily connects with the command. But it's not the only connection to the command. So let's go a little bit deeper tonight. We have much more symbolism than just our people being in the desert. You see, the people of Israel were in the desert, but there's a much bigger story behind what was going on. At Passover, the people came out of Egypt. 
And Egypt symbolizes slavery to sin. And so we were saved with the blood of the lamb on the door, right? That was the symbol. But obviously it didn't just stop with Exodus. We now know that the symbol of the blood of the lamb for salvation has a much bigger prophetic element because it saves us now. And I want to do the same thing with Sukkot. I want to find those higher prophetic connect points. And then we said that the children of Israel came out of Egypt under the blood of the lamb, so they're saved by the blood. They put their faith in the blood. But then they all walked through the Red Sea together, which means they all were immersed in water. The symbol of immersion. They did it. So they're saved by the blood, then they went through the waters, just like all of us did if we're believers in Yeshua. And then they found themselves at the foot of the mountain receiving the law of God. That's what our process is. Saved by the blood through faith, go through the waters, and then submit your life to the word of God. You can see the bigger story here. And all this is going on for 40 years, which they weren't supposed to be, by the way. Now, let me give you the connection here. For 40 years, they were in the desert, but they weren't supposed to be. They were only there because of the lack of faith when the spies went in to spy out the land. 10 of them said, we, we, we can't take the land. Two of them said, yes, we can. We need to obey the Lord. The people gave in to the 10 that were not full of faith. And the Lord said, well, I'm going to give you a year in the desert for every day that the spies were in the land. And they happened to be in the land 40 days. So they got 40 years in the desert. They were never supposed to be there. So that's why they had to live in temporary dwellings. But you know, we, we're not supposed to be living in a sinful world either. And that's why we want to remember the temporary nature of the theme of Sukkot, because just like the Israelites in the desert who weren't supposed to be there in that situation, neither are we supposed to be here in this situation. When God created the earth, he created it perfect and holy. When he created human beings, he created them perfect as well. But somehow, like the Israelites, we allowed sin and a lack of faith to come in, and now we deal with a different scenario than we should have been dealing with. Do you follow me? But God's plan for Israel was never that they live in the desert. It was that they live in the land of covenant promise, the land of Israel. Just like God's promise for us was never that we would live forever temporarily in these sinful states, but that we would live in a perfected state with him. That was always the goal. And so therefore, we understand that we are temporarily here on this earth doing what we're doing now. The promised land represents our dwelling with the Messiah, both in the millennial reign on this earth and in the new heaven, new earth, and new Jerusalem. Now, let me pause there for a moment because there's something exciting the Lord showed me this year when I was meditating about Sukkot. Deuteronomy chapter 16 commands all of the Jewish men to come to Jerusalem for Sukkot every year. It's part of the pilgrimage commandments, right? But Zechariah 14 commands a representative from every nation to come to Jerusalem during Sukkot. You follow me? So watch this key phrase of the night. Because God will reveal the new Jerusalem 
in the age to come. This will enable all people to perpetually obey the commandment to come to Jerusalem during the Feast of Tabernacles, both Jew and the nations, fulfilling both Deuteronomy 16 and Zechariah 14 commandments forever. If God did not give the new city the name Jerusalem, we couldn't have done that. But the fact that he gave the new city the name Jerusalem means no matter what background you come from, forever and ever and ever, you will be able to come to Jerusalem on the Feast of Tabernacles, both in this age, in the millennial age, and in the age to come in the new heaven. Isn't that amazing? That's why God does these really detailed moments because he didn't have to name any city. New heaven and new earth would have been fine, I'm sure, with all of us. But by giving it a name, he said, now I'm letting you obey forever. What a, what a way the Lord lets us connect. Now let's stick with this temporary focus for a few moments and understand how the holiday extends beyond just the desert. Let's read this from Romans chapter eight about our temporary bodies. I hinted on that a moment ago. Romans 8, 22. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we are saved. We hope that, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? You know, see, we have a temporary shelter to remind us of the desert, but we also have a temporary body that we were never supposed to have. You were never supposed to be in this situation. But these are our temporary shelters. Can you understand that your body right now is a sukkah? It's holding your spirit, but it's not what you're supposed to be in. This verse said there's gonna be a day when there's a redemption of our bodies and you're gonna get the new one. I think you're gonna like it better. But that's me guessing. Obviously, you're gonna like it better. Philippians 3.20 says this, but our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await our savior from there. The Lord Yeshua, the Messiah, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. If you didn't know what the transformation was gonna be like, there it was. Your body was lowly and then it's gonna change and it's gonna be like his. That's pretty cool because I don't know that any of us have always embraced the idea of what a redeemed body would be like. We didn't have a context for it, and now we do. Our body will become like his body. Our body will function like his does because you're a child of the king, right? So you're gonna look and act and feel and have power and discernment and insight and wisdom like your father. Temporary, becoming permanent. Look at 1 Corinthians 15, 51. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality. 
In that verse, our bodies which are perishable changed become imperishable, and that which was mortal has become immortal. That's a lot of change going on in your body. We haven't experienced that kind of change since puberty. You say, Pastor Chad, why was that horrible joke on your mind? Because I have two children going through it right now. That's why it was on my mind. You know what I mean? I've got two, I've got four kids. So two of them are kind of like 14 and 12. They're going through it right now. And, you know, changes. Changes are happening. And their legs are growing before the rest of them. And one of them is just legs. It's just like one tall leg there. I say, don't worry, the other parts will catch up, you know. But there's a lot of change going on in our bodies, guys. This is part of the Sukkot message. It's not only about Israel in the desert. It's not only about the stuff we wave, the songs we sing, and the sukkah we eat in. It's remembering that the whole theme is temporary. Your body is temporary. Our, our life on earth is temporary. Some of these moments we weren't even supposed to be in had we stayed on the path God created for us. But let me read you a passage from Hebrews chapter three, verse 17. And with whom was he angry for 40 years? So here's where we make the connection with Sukkot, right? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies perished in the wilderness? And to whom did God swear that they would never enter his rest, if not to those who disobeyed? So we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. So God is talking about rest, something he wanted to give us, but in our sin, we forfeited. We said no to it even though God wanted to give us peace and rest. It continues in the next chapter, Hebrews chapter four, verse one. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, what does that mean? That means the promise did never leave. It's still right there. Just because a generation disobeyed didn't break the covenant offering of the Lord. He still stands there and says, I'll give you rest if you want it. Let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it, for we also have had the good news proclaimed to us just as they did, but the message they heard was one of no value to them because they did not share the faith of those who obeyed. Now we who have believed enter that rest just as God had said. So I declared on an oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. And yet his works have been finished since the creation of the world. You say, well, how does that interact with Sukkot? Because Sukkot is representing an age of rest that you were supposed to be in. But you're not in it right now. But it is the age to come. So oftentimes we talk about Sukkot being a description of the age to come. So let me walk you through this. I do this each holiday season just so you can grab it. I'd try to do it quickly. There are seven festivals of the Lord and each one represents a major act of the work of God. They're not just random days and random festivals. Each one is giving you a roadmap of what's coming. For instance, 
Passover, the first holiday of the year, is when our people came out of Egypt. That's important. But it's also the day in which our Messiah died as the great Passover lamb, and we gave our faith to his blood that we might be saved from sin. So his death was the real part of Passover we were supposed to be celebrating. Do you understand that? But every holiday has its own mark, just like that. The next holiday, number two, is the, the festival of Chag HaMatzah. This is unleavened bread. What was happening during unleavened bread? Well, Yeshua was in the grave taking away the sin of the world, which is why he taught us that leaven was like sin so that when he went in the depths during unleavened bread, we would understand that he was taking away the sin of the world. That's why he gave the parable. The third holiday of the year was that of first fruits. And what happened on the day of first fruits? He rose from the dead. These aren't accidents. They weren't surprises to heaven. It wasn't like the angels were like, hey, Yeshua, did you, did you realize that you rose on first fruits? Man, I was just thinking about it and all of a sudden I put two and two together and there you are, you rose. I don't even know if you knew that. The father's not up there going, whoo, that was a pretty lucky coincidence. <laughs> Significant things on God's holidays. Then we move to the fourth holiday of Shavuot, the Feast of Weeks. And what happens? The Holy Spirit falls on the people. Acts chapter 2 during Shavuot. And then we fast forward a couple of weeks ago, Feast of Trumpets. What does it signify? The return of the Lord at the last great trumpet. Then it's to Yom Kippur from last week. What does it signify? The great day of judgment, which is why we repent leading up to Yom Kippur and we have the final sacrifice atonement. That leaves us with one holiday that's like all by itself called Sukkot. Why is it all by itself? Because Sukkot doesn't have its utter fulfillment until the age to come because it is the age to come. Do you understand? All of this is very important. And I'll take you one step further. I'm working on a little bit more in-depth teaching. I'll give it to you in a couple of months. But each festival has multiple layers that have a beginning, have an act of Yeshua, and have an ending. For instance, or have a fulfillment. Let's just say it that way. Like Passover, for instance. That's the easiest one. We're saved by the blood of the lamb in Egypt, right? You get that. I already walked you through it. But then Messiah, we're saved by his blood of the lamb because he died on Passover, right? And we have this Passover meal that we're commanded to eat. And yet in the age to come, what do we end up with? The wedding supper of the lamb. Do you see how every festival has its markers from beginning to the act of Yeshua till the end of the age? Sukkot is one of those. There's a lot of depth and a lot of meaning. Here, I'll even give it to you a different way. This idea of commanded joy, commanded resolution of all things, this idea that it is an age of peace because we've never experienced it before. Listen to this, Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, very important for Sukkot, coming down out of heaven from God. It was prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. 
And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place, his tabernacle, come on, you understand the translation, God's tabernacle is now among the people and he will tabernacle with them and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eye. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. You get the absolute peace with the dwelling sukkah tabernacle of Yeshua with us. Those come hand in hand. Sukkot comes with peace. Revelation 21. And so as we walk through our series, we've talked about a perfect God, perfect timing, perfect sacrifice. And tonight we'll end with this, perfect peace. Because that's, something you need to grab on Sukkot. So as we look at the bigger picture of the future, here's what we do know. We've been created to rule and reign with the Messiah over God's creation. That's why you were created. Have purpose. We were saved to be able to enter into God's rest and to enter into this Sukkot age of peace because we were always supposed to be in an age like that. But our sin took us out just like our sin took us out of our real bodies and put us in these. Complain, complain, complain. <laughs> this should have given us greater understanding to the meaning and the concept of Yeshua being the Prince of Peace. Isaiah 9, verse 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called the Wonderful Counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. Don't forget you have all three parts of the Godhead right there in that one description. They're not separate people. They're one unified God. You can be the counselor, the Father, and the Son all in one unity. But he's called the Prince of Peace. Let me give you our second key phrase of the night. Yeshua has paid the price for peace and has now delivered to us perfect peace. A lot of us understand that Yeshua paid the price for sin. He paid the price for debt. He paid the price for atonement. He paid the price for eternal life. But did you also understand that he paid the price for your peace? It's a peace we can't have yet here. We can have it to a measure, but not to the way it was created to be. Not yet. Not until the Sukkot age. No more crying, no more tear, no more pain, no more death, no more sin. You see how that seems like a pretty good environment to have peace. Isaiah continues in chapter six, uh, 26. You will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. See, you trust in God, you get peace. And even when God commanded the high priest Aaron to speak over the people, what was it that he's trying to give the people? Numbers chapter 6, 26, the Lord turn his face to you and give you peace. Because God is looking at the end of all of this. You understand? Sin, the blood, the water, repentance, forgiveness, all of that, remember what we teach you, all of that is part of the detour but it's not what you were supposed to be. 
You, you were built on a highway of the Lord to rule and reign over his creation. All that other stuff was a detour we took because of sin. And the work of Yeshua is trying to get us off the detour back onto the ancient path of peace, of holiness, of perfection. All of that is to be embraced in the festival of Sukkot. Paul said it another way, and this will be our final verse tonight. 2 Thessalonians 3.16. Now may the Lord of peace, I like that because he's connecting it with the Prince of Peace. He calls him the Lord of peace. May the Lord of peace give you peace at all times and in every way. The Lord be with all of you. We want to apply this today. Many of us in our life, we need some peace. The world is getting more chaotic. It's getting more fractured, disunified, angry, sinful, evil, deceitful, dark. And it doesn't feel good to our spirits. It shouldn't. We should always feel like foreigners in this earth to some extent because this wasn't the way our home was supposed to be. Our home is in the Sukkot age, that age of peace. But even in the midst of the storm, God promises you, if you trust in me, I will give you a measure of that peace even now. We can have perfect peace while still on this earth, while we still fight battles, while we are in the middle of a storm. You can have it. You can have perfect peace in our bodies, one day removing the current perishable mortal body and replacing it with our redeemed body, but there's a certain measure we can have now with miracles and healings and longevity of life. But really, that culmination of of theme, of that temporary becoming permanent, of that chaos becoming peaceful, is wrapped up in Sukkot, in the age to come. Well, there will be no more battles. There will be no more storms. There'll be no more sin, no more sadness. And every time you look at the sukkah, I want you to think about that. Because that's what you were created to do and where you were created to be. I thought it appropriate that as we close this portion of the service today that we would connect with some of our traditional blessings for the holiday. But since we mentioned the high priest Aaron, let's start with that. So close your eyes and just let the Lord wash over you these blessings, and then we're going to wave the lulav together. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord turn his face to you, shine upon you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And for the holiday, Baruch Adonai Eloheinu Melech HaOlam Shehechianu Bekiyamanu Vehigianu Lazman Hazeh Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who sustains us, gives us life, and enables us to reach this holiday season. We look at the Sukkah now and we say, Baruch Adonai Eloheinu Melech HaOlam Asher Kitshanu Bechazdo V'tzivanu Leshev Basukah Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who sanctifies us by your grace and commands us to remember and dwell in the Sukkah. 
and for the waving of the lulav and etrog, which are the four species. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who sanctifies us by your grace and commands us to take up the lulav and etrog. Would you stand with me so we can obey these commandments? If you're new to the Messianic movement and you say, a lot of this symbolism is new to me, that's okay. We'll try to break it down for you. Join in if you want to. But listen, there's always a blessing in obedience, even if you don't understand. So go home, build a sukkah. You say, Pastor Chad, I don't have a yard in which I can build a sukkah. That's okay. I don't either. I have a balcony, and we decorate it like it's a sukkah. There have been years I didn't have a balcony, and, but I had a garage. And as my wife is here in my witness, we put the tent up in the garage. And you might say, I don't have a yard, a balcony, or a garage. That's okay. We understand what it's like to live in Israel. Maybe you have one of those little, you know, you have the small apartments. I understand. Do something. Decorate something. Do like my kids. Put a sheet over some chairs and make it a tent. Do something. something in obedience so that you might receive a blessing because the Lord is waiting to give it to you. We're going to wave the lulav and etrog. We're going to wave it in all six directions. And what we're going to say together every time we wave is we're going to say, please come, Prince of Peace. Amen? All six directions together we wave. Please come, Prince of Peace. 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 To the heavens, please come, Prince of Peace. To the earth beneath, please come, Prince of Peace. Yeshua, would you bestow your people with grace? Put peace upon us in these temporary bodies. Let us never get settled into this earth which is not ours to be in. Keep us until the Sukkot age arrives. Let our message be strong and full of power like you promised. Welcome new people to the family this holiday season. And because it's a season of commanded joy, can I ask King of Kings that you give me an offering of a shout, not like your regular offerings of shouts, because this is supposed to be above those but can we shout hallelujah on, the, on number three tonight? Can you do that with me? I want your best one of the year. This is your shot. God's watching. He's measuring. Is this one better than the last one? Hallelujah on three. One, two, three. Hallelujah! Hallelujah!